0: Text SHOW to 33777. Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour 2. Hello, America. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show across the nation. The phone number is 877-973-7425, should you wish to be on the program. Uh, glad to have you with me. Text Eric, E-R-I-C-K to 33777. Uh, subscribe to the show notes and more by doing that. You can follow me around social media. Put up a lot of clips on Instagram. And like. But you really should subscribe to the daily show notes. Um, we Everything that I talk about during the show, we put links in there to all of it. So you got everything and then more so. Uh, for all you who complain about where do I go in the press to figure out what's actually happening, well, there's a great resource for you where we do a very good job of breaking down every day what what's going on uh, in the world. Uh, text ERIC to 33777. You know, I, I want to go on and take this phone call because I wasn't going to talk about the subject today, but I, I think I might as well before I get to what I was going to talk about. Uh, Vula, uh, am, am I mispronouncing your name? I'm afraid I might be. Vula, is it Vula? Viola, you there? Uh-oh. Well, all right. We're going to put you back on hold, and we'll get back to you and see if we can get you. I have no idea. Never mind. Well, she's going to ask about the desantis Newsome debate with Hannity on Fox. I, I don't know what to think about it. Um, I, I honestly, I, 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 I know I'm supposed to have an opinion. It's what I do for a living. These are two men who both want to be president. Newsom wants to be president yesterday, and I think it's increasingly obvious, by the way, that um, that Joe Biden, if he steps aside, or uh, Newsom's going to make a huge play for it. There's a growing alarm within the democratic uh, strategist uh, establishment whatever you want to call them the the establishment class the democratic strategist that Newsom would actually be bad for the democrats and i don't think this is appreciated enough that um that he would be bad for the democrats uh, there just seems to be this perception that if Newsom were to run he would win i don't think so have you paid attention to california I don't know that most Americans want America to be California. If anything else, so here's here's what I think we can gather from this debate. If done right, if Hannity asks the right questions, um, that I I really think that we could learn uh, a view of the nation. We we would be able to see the nation, and and the dichotomy of the nation and how the nation divides itself up uh, between the worldview of California and the worldview of Florida. Now, uh, Viola, you're back. Let's see. Are you there? Yes, I am. And thanks for those daily emails. They're very informative and help me cut through all the noise. Thank you. I appreciate that. My question is about the behind the scenes of debate debate prep. Who do you Mm -hmm. think and how do you think DeSantis is prepping for this debate? Who do you think is uh, coaching him on getting oh, ready, you know, and then I, where I don't could Newsom know that I really... know who is, is, is prepping him, but, yeah, you, you essentially, you, you kind of know, you know who Sean Hannity is, uh, you know the sorts of questions he's going to ask, and you know the areas you want to hit. So he's got somebody who's jousting with him, I suspect,ed and Newsom doing the same with someone. Um, and, and what you want to do is, is you want to find someone who's not a caricature of the other side, but who can actually be as accurately... Uh, balance to what the other side would be like. And Newsom actually has an easier uh, shot at this than DeSantis, frankly, because DeSantis is on a debate stage, so Newsom can gather what his style of debating is like, where DeSantis can't do that with Newsom. I spend about six months in the panhandle of Florida each year, and and it's remarkable. It's a great state to be in. What sort of hits could Newsom make against DeSantis? DeSantis. I mean, the economy's great. Education and parental rights are strong. How could Newsom land a blow on DeSantis? Great question. I, I honestly think it is um, the, the way he would target it is, is on the social issues. Like, for example, uh, alleging how, how Florida bullied Disney. He'll, he'll make that allegation. Uh, he will argue about Florida schools, though he really can't say much there because the schools are great. Um, He'll argue about Florida has crime problems as well, that they're using uh, California's as a as a um, mat to wipe his feet on when really California is doing better on crime per capita than Florida. Um, He'll he'll argue those sorts of things. I don't know that they've any of them have a lot of merit. I think largely what he will do is he will argue that uh, he has a supermajority in California, the California legislature. In a way, DeSantis has a supermajority in Florida, but that DeSantis has bullied uh, everyone in Florida to get his way. And and Newsom will say, I've never had to bully people. We just get along with consensus, which is really a lie. But I, I think that's kind of what he'll do, that it'll be uh, leadership styles and then overall vision for the country of uh, should the country have a greater social safety welfare net? Should the country do more to help the poor at the government level? What do we do with illegal immigrants? Uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but again, it all depends on Hannity's questions as well. We'll need to we'll we'll have to to see about how that debate shapes up. Now, I, I want to talk about something else outside of politics. We'll get back to politics. So I I need to preface this with something. You know, oftentimes I get a little bit more philosophical, if you will, at the end of the year. As I'm I'm thinking about bigger picture stuff and Christmas and Thanksgiving, they're all piled in together and, and uh dealing with all the stuff in our family stuff and friends and, and all and the conversations that keep coming up as family gets together in the holiday season. And then as I interact with a lot of you. So there's this piece. Um it, it, the piece is not of relevance to most of you. I I I want to start with this, but it's a great kicking off point. Um it's written by Kevin DeYoung. Kevin DeYoung is a uh, pastor in the Presbyterian Church of America, my denomination, and it's on Doug Wilson. Some of you know Doug Wilson uh, in uh, Moscow, Idaho. He's, he's built this massive following up there. The piece is called On Culture War, Doug Wilson and the Moscow uh, Mood. And uh, Let me just read you kind of the, the opening of this. Each of the great world civilizations, Christopher Dawson wrote in his classic work from the 1940s on religion and the rise of Western culture, has been faced with the problem of reconciling the aggressive ethos of the warrior with the moral ideals of a universal religion. But in none of them has the tension been so vital and intense as in medieval Christendom, and nowhere have the results been more important for the history of culture. At the heart of Dawson's provocative thesis is the insisted that Western European culture was the coming together of two cultures, two social traditions, and two spiritual worlds. The cultural formation of Europe combined the war society of the barbarian kingdom with its cult of heroism and aggression, leavened by the peace society of the Christian Church, with its ideals of asceticism and renunciation of its high theological culture, and renunciation and its high theological culture. Arguably, the Crusades expressed the best and worst of this synthesis. There were times when the fusion of warrior heroism and Christian virtue produced something noble and exemplary during the centuries long effort to reclaim the Holy Land. And there were times when the fusion failed and produced something ugly and lamentable. And even the failures teach us about the aspirational ideals of Christendom. We cannot understand the rise of Western culture without the religious unity imposed by the Christian church in the Middle Ages. And likewise, we cannot understand the flourishing of Christendom unless we understand that it grew up out of the soil of warrior kings and barbarian kingdoms. Dawson's thesis, though, concerned with the rise of Western culture in the Middle Ages, is instructive for our own age. For many, it looks as if Western culture has been overrun whether by Muslim immigration in Europe, critical theory in our universities, sexual degradation in our popular culture, violence in our streets, or plain old anti-Western vitriol in the hearts of many Westerners who have no idea how much more miserable the world would be if their deluded wishes came true. If this is the world we live in, or even something generally headed in that direction, the question we in the Christian West are wrestling with is what to do now. Which brings him to Doug Wilson, and Moscow, Idaho. By any measure, one has to marvel at the literary, digital, and institutional output that has come out of Moscow, Idaho. While some internet cranks are wannabes trying to make a name for themselves by trying to tear down what others have built up, Wilson is to be commended for establishing an ecosystem of schools, churches, media offerings, and publishing ventures. He deserves credit for being unafraid to take unpopular positions. Moreover, he understands that opposition to Christ is not to be taken lightly. Now, this is a religious angle and a religious person and and religious issues, but there's a larger point here because I have gotten this so much from so many people over the last couple of weeks, and I have been feeling it myself. Loving your neighbor kind of sucks sometimes. I don't say that lightly. But my gosh... I realize nowhere does is, is anyone going to say that it's easy to love your neighbor, but some of these people, you just want to wring their necks and, and send them off to some re-education camp somewhere. Good gracious. Loving your neighbor's heart, particularly harder on the Internet. And I have just been trying not to succumb to rage these last few weeks with some of these idiots over the Hamas situation, but also just just other stuff too in politics and personality and, and seen it on, on my side of the aisle as well, that, you know, I, I, am I consider myself a very conservative person, but I know that in, in like the media atmosphere of the day and and stuff, I'm, I'm perceived as being a moderate, regardless of my views, because I'm trying to avoid just throwing the red meat out to people and being the brain biblical donkey and, and yelling at people and name calling people on the other side and trying to also hold my own side accountable. Oh, you sound very moderate. Do you know what I actually stand for? No, you just hear the tone and perceive it as moderation. But I, I'm listening to, to people on my own side, some people in talk radio and 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 reading people on the internet who are kind of like like, screw this whole love your neighbor thing. We need to fight them like they fight us. We need to treat them like they treat us. And I am so tempted to succumb to it. And I got to ask myself, do I really believe my values? Because if I really do believe what my values are, and my principles are, and my faith is, I can't do that. And it's this frustrating tension that is wearing me out right now, that, that I yeah, I wanna, I wanna get in the muck to give in to sin. Loving your neighbor sucks sometimes particularly when your neighbor isn't worth loving, and yet you have to. Nobody said it would be easy. So I just want to say this. I, I, I've been burdened these last couple of weeks and, and really in the last week or so with with a bunch of angry people, and they've been coming at me and coming at each other, and, and why aren't you fighting this way or that way? And I just I got to remind you guys that I'm really convicted that this stuff really does matter beyond our lifetimes. And what use is it for me to gain the whole world if I sacrifice my soul? And we don't talk a lot about souls in conservative talk radio. We talk about the raw politics of the day. But I think sometimes you just got to hit the pause button and remind people that, that we're dealing in eternity, not temporary. And it's, it's fun in the raw meat and, and, uh, of politics to get in the mud and, and be as nasty to them as they are to mm-hmm. us. It makes for compelling entertainment, among other things. But, y'all, I, I got to tell you, I, maybe it's my age. Maybe it's, it's, it's the, the age of my kids. Maybe it's dealing with my wife's health or stuff. But I just got to remind myself that this is not easy stuff. Loving your neighbor, it's not easy stuff. It is so much more easier to, to behave like everybody around you. But if you take it seriously, and if you really believe, then you can't. You you can't behave like the world. You can't behave like everybody else. You got to love your neighbor. You don't have to like them, but you got to love them. And you got to try not to be mad about everything. And it's so easy to be mad about everything. The whole world wants to spin you up with clickbait to be mad about everything. And sometimes you just got to step back and say, I'm not going to get mad about this today. Guys, if you're a small, mid-sized business, you're struggling with HR issues, you have employees not showing up, or you got to do a termination, you need onboarding of employees, maybe there's a sexual harassment complaint. You want an HR manager. You don't want to be the bad guy with your employees. Bambi can play the role of HR for you. $99 a month, available by phone, email, real-time chat. They do onboardings, terminations. They help your team members get to peak performance. And your business stays compliant with changing HR regulations, regardless of which state. They're great. Now, they're U.S.-based. you got somebody to talk to who's dedicated to your team. Hello there. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number 877-973-7425. If you want to be on the program, y'all, our secretary of education at the Biden level is an idiot. Uh, Now we've known this the whole time. Let's just be honest here. Everybody's going to know he's not the smartest uh, not the sharpest knife in the kitchen drawer, let's just say, but if y'all heard this is hilarious? Miguel Cardona, listen to this. You know, we're going to set up follow-up calls with every governor we met with to make sure we're available. Um, as uh, I think it was President Reagan said, we're from the government. We're here to help. Um, there's There are resources there. There's technical assistance there, and there's a playbook that could support the work you're doing. Count on us as a partner in this. Our students are waiting. Thank you. Uh, I kind of think, given the pause there, he he kind of realized after he said it. Oh, probably not the best quote. Um, Ronald Reagan said that it was the 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 scariest words in the English language, or, or the the however many words it was um, most frightening words in the English language. I'm from the government and I'm here to help. Ronald Reagan did not mean that as a good thing. He meant it as a very bad thing. And the idiot Secretary of Education left off the most important context of the quote to try just unbelievable that i i I, you, you you listen to something like this you're like these people are incompetent they are incompetent um i'm i'm kind of flabbergasted that the guy would embrace this and i really do think that pause that he had that pause there that that pause was uh kind of like he did the quote and like oh no, that wasn't the good quote, but too late. I, I did the quote. I was just absolutely mind-boggling that um he would go there, but <laughs> just these people are not smart. I was promised smart adults didn't happen. Now, I want to promise you a great computer experience. If you go to Vision Computers, visioncomputer.com or 404-compute, call them at 404-compute. Let them build your PC for you. Laptop, desktop, they can build it for you, and then they can service it for you. So when I say service, I mean like, like whole support. You have a question about how to do something. You're not sure how to connect your printer or how to get your email set up, or you just have a question, can my computer do X, Y, and Z? Faster than a Google search, you can call Vision Computer and they will answer the question for you. And if you have a problem, Say your email's not working or your printer's malfunctioning or something, Vision can work with that. They can remote it in many cases and fix your computer. So think about this. Think about this. You go to the big box store, you buy your one-size-fits-all computer, you don't have a relationship with them. You don't know who to call if something goes wrong. With Vision, you have a relationship with them. And so you can call them day or night. They answer the phone, 15 seconds or less. They answer the phone. They save you money. They save you time visioncomputers.com 404 compute let vision build your computer and then be your in-house IT department 404 compute tell them I sent you purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free see better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts oh 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts the um, There are pro-Palestinian protesters demonstrating outside the memorial service for uh, Rosalind Carter in Atlanta holding up signs, Free Palestine, uh, end all U.S. aid to Israel. Um, <laughs> Josh Krashauer from Axios says, it's like the Westboro Baptist Church of the Left. That's kind of an accurate um, description. Of it, uh, I, I want to, and again, I'll, I'll get into more of the political stuff. I yesterday I spent so much time on the raw political stuff that I, I just I was like, I, I gotta, I gotta find other stuff. And there's a there's a a great story. The Wall Street Journal has this. Why is everyone so unhappy at work right now? U.S. employees are more dissatisfied than they were in the thick of the pandemic. So, Charlie and Philip, assuming you're listening to me right now, are you happy with your jobs? Huh? Are, yes, I'm talking to both of you. Uh-huh. Yeah? You're, you're, you're satisfied with your job? Keep in mind, I'm issuing Christmas bonuses shortly or not. I I, I take it everybody's happy. I am a fantastic boss. I want y'all to know that I am a genuinely fantastic person to work for. I'm easy to get along with. I'm not super high strung, nor am I like bipolar and, and turn on a dime. I'm I am a wonderful boss. I just want you to know that and they want you to know that as well. Right guys. Americans are unhappier at work unless you work for Eric Erickson, LLC. Americans are unhappier at work than they have been in years. Despite wage increases, more paid time off, and greater control over where they work, the number of U.S. workers who say they are angry, stressed, and disengaged is climbing, according to Gallup's 2023 workplace report. Meanwhile, a bamboo HR analysis of data for more than 57,000 workers shows job satisfaction scores have fallen to their lowest point since early 2020, a 10% drop this year alone. In interviews with workers around the country, it's clear that unhappiness is part of a rethinking of work life that began in 2020. The sources of workers' discontent range from inflation, which is erasing pay gains, To the still unsettled nature of the workday, people chafe being against being micromanaged back at offices. Yet they also find isolating aspects of hybrid and remote work. A cooling job market, especially in white collar roles, is leaving many professionals feeling stuck. Companies have largely moved on from pandemic operating mode, cutting costs and renewing a focus on productivity. The disconnect with workers has managers frustrated. And no quick fix seems to be at hand. Those in charge said they've given staff more money, flexibility, and support, only to come up short. I want to actually talk about this a little more, and and let, let me let me pull back the curtain a little bit because you you got to know this. So, you know, I, I am an employee of Cox Media Group, which in my flagship station, WSB in Atlanta, I am on that station. And then I have the syndication rights to my show and have my own little company with a handful of employees uh, that actually produces the show and gets it distributed and handles my own advertisers and, and uh, the digital aspects of it and all of that. And I I mean, Philip and Charlie have been with me forever. Um, I cannot. I genuinely can't contemplate working with any other people. Um, I, I, I hope to never lose either of them. That just the three of us do this until we're ready to retire. Uh, that that's that's my dream scenario. Um, my company for the other radio side is used to be a fam the family run uh, what Cox Enterprises and it, they sold the. Media Group to a private equity group, but it's, it's largely a lot of the same people. I hear this though, and and I, I don't intend to, or mean to, or want to speak out of turn. I, I I hear, and it is perception in many cases, the the colder nature of things. And I I will say at, at the at the upper level when your company is owned by another company, and you never see those people. It kind of makes you feel more like a cog in a wheel than part of a team. I hear this from a lot of people at a lot of places, though, more than I ever did before COVID. And what I find is that if you go back to COVID, a lot of companies, a lot of companies did the we are family stuff. We're family. We take care of each other. We love you. You're a vital part of our company. I, I know so many people told me their companies during COVID, during, during shutdowns and lockdowns and everything else, they did a whole lot of we're, we're, we're all on the same team, we're family, blah, 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 blah. And I think some people believed it too much. David Zaslav is the uh, president of Warner Brothers Discovery and he is prone, apparently, to quote the line from the movie Jerry Maguire, it's not show friends, it's show business. And it is business at the end of the day. However, I have I, I perceive a trend, particularly with major corporations at the management level, that it is less collaborative and teamworky ever since COVID. Uh, People being able to work from home, people like it. At the same time, it's very isolating. And then you go back to the office and people have kind of lost the balance. It's like driving. Have you all noticed after COVID, after lockdowns, people are worse drivers than they were? Uh, My kid wants me to get her a uh, dashboard camera now to start recording people because she is just, she sees some crazy driving. I see crazy driving. And you've always seen it, but it's gotten worse. And it's like people skills and management skills and driving skills that are on the decline. And it's it's really having an impact in people's work and people's abilities to work. And the way that teamwork no longer seems to be teamwork. It seems to be on you. That the we are all family nonsense ended when people went back to the office and now it's, it's you are a cog in a wheel and you don't really feel connected to the overall company or the goals of the company. You just got a job to do and there's nothing nothing to it. It's not fulfilling. Now, work should never be the total fulfillment of your life. The Generation Z kids are learning this the most. Generation Z kids thought that they could take their whole self to work and that they were supposed to be, that was going to be their new family and they were going to pour their whole life and time and effort and energy into it and work all the time and it would be totally fulfilling to them. And it's not. It's where you earn your money so that you can then use that money to enjoy life. However, people do want to feel a part of it. Back to this Wall Street Journal story. The experience of workers like Lindsay Leesman suggests how expectations have shifted after a few years ago. Leesman is 38 years old. She soured on a philanthropy job after having to return to the office two days a week. Pre-pandemic, she would have been happy working three days a week at home. It would have been a dream come true. Still, her team's in-office requirements seemed like going backwards and made her feel like her professionalism and work quality were in doubt. Instead of collaborating more, she and others rarely left their desks, except for meetings or lunch. Negative feelings followed her home on her hour-long commute, leaving her short-tempered with her kids. You try to keep work and home separate, but that sort of stuff is just impacting your mental health so much. The disconnect has business leaders struggling for answers, says Steve Skoll, chief executive of Alight Solutions, a technology company. Many of the Fortune 100 companies on Alight's client list boosted spending on employee benefits, such as mental health, child care, and well-being bonuses, by 20% but it hasn't translated into happier employees. So you know what I think it is, is after people returned to the office, people stopped hanging out. You used to have like work colleagues who you were still friendly with, you would pass by their desk, you'd have a You'd have conversations, you'd enjoy each other's company for a few minutes as you went back to your desk. that is happening less and less. People feel more and more to be cogs in the wheel of some Fortune 500 company's um, business model. They don't actually feel valued. Uh, They don't see their managers. Their managers don't hang out. Their managers are not team players. Their managers told them during COVID, we're all in this together and we're family. And afterwards, they're like, who are you? What's your name again? Aren't you supposed to be at your desk banging away at a keyboard? People lost their personal people skills. People lost their personal people connections. People lost something during COVID. And it's, it's translated into this. Y'all, I, I can't explain to you how bad it actually is long-term for you if you have chosen to not be in your office at all. There are some companies that still allow their workers to be remote. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen to them. The people who are not seen are the ones who are going to get laid off first. When layoffs come and cuts come, it's the people who never show up at the office who are gonna be the ones who are cut first, why? Because they are presumed to be expendable because they're not there. But now you got a lot of people who want to do things, who want to uh, be involved and the managers aren't there. And you got, when the managers are there, it's like they, they forgot who worked for them and they don't engage, they don't interact, they're, they're in a bubble all by themselves it makes it a more miserable workplace. On my side of my company, everybody, I, we got an office now, but uh, Charlie works out of his house. Phillip's had a kid. He works out of his house. Uh, David, the the CFO, he comes into work every once in a while. I'm here every day. And I can tell you, its I, I sometimes find it very ridiculous. Here I am in this big office space, and I'm alone. There's nobody to hang out with, nobody to interact with. Nobody to just chat, nobody to 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 have a conversation with, where you get some inspiration. I I feel more isolated now than I did during COVID. I think a lot of people feel that way, and it has directly impacted people's feelings for their office. If I could give employers, the bosses, if I give you one piece of advice, it's be seen in the office and engage the employees, not as employees but as human beings, they're not cogs in a wheel, they're part of your team, make them feel like it. And if I could give employees, the, the the worker bees a piece of advice, it's stop working remote, go back to the office, show up and be part of the team, engage with a smile in the office and start putting the pieces back together A hundred years from now, books are going to be written about this pandemic, and it won't be like the Spanish flu pandemic of the early 1900s. It won't be a, a, a horror film of disaster and death followed by world war. It'll be a book about how people lost the ability to connect and interrelate. They lost their interpersonal skills and how they struggled to get them back. And the sooner you Force yourself to re-engage in an office setting, employers to employees and employees to employers as people who are on a team working together for some cause, the better off you're all going to be. At this point, it's not about giving more money. It's about giving more meaning and not enough workers are getting it and not enough employers are giving it. And that's going to have to change to turn this around in the office place. Except for Charlie and Philip, I mean, they don't need any meaning in life. Their world is supposed to revolve around me. They never even texted back, people. I want you to know. They never even replied to me. Uh, they may not even be at work, and I don't even know it because they work remotely. That's the other problem. Now, I got to move on to Patriot Mobile and tell you about their first-class cell phone service. You can move to them. You grow their profits. They grow their giving to the conservative movement. It is a one-two punch to grow the right. What you do is you go to patriotmobile.com Eric, or you call them at 972-PATRIOT and tell them I sent you. You get free activation with my name. You roll your cell phone service over to them. You get guaranteed great service using the same cell towers you are already using, and then as they grow their profits, they grow their giving to the conservative causes you care about. Second Amendment, pro-life movement, conservative parents running for office. You can even take your existing cell phone number to them, existing cell phone number. You take it to them, or you get a brand-new phone number from them. If you have an unlocked phone, you can take that to them. And you you don't miss a beat. You get guaranteed great service. If you don't believe me, go to PatriotMobile.com slash Eric. Put in your address. They'll zoom straight to your house so you can see how good the 5G, the data, the voice is. It's PatriotMobile.com slash Eric or call them 972-PATRIOT. If you call them at 972-PATRIOT, tell them I'm the one who sent you, and they give you free activation with my name. Those clowns weren't responding to me. My employees were not responding to me because they were on Twitter dragging me with my former friend Joe Cunningham while I was talking about all the great things I allow them to do, like work from home and give them Christmas bonuses, which it's not too late to yank those back. My gosh, the people I work for. You would think that I, like the namesake of the company, I should not have paid that insurance premium today. If I dropped dead, my employees get a lot of money. Y'all be suspicious for me. I paid that insurance premium today. I should have canceled the policy. <laughs> Y'all, in all honesty, I am I am really blessed to to work with with Charlie and Philip. I uh, and Candace as well and Jim and, and David. I I get up every day and I'm just I I get to work with people who I consider to be good friends and uh, I, I don't get to hang out with Charlie enough anymore. My wife and I insisted we needed to marry him off to keep him around, and now we never see him. Um, but, gosh, I really wouldn't want to work with other people. It, it's it's a lot of fun to show up at the office and do this show every day. But I just, you know, it, it's so, it, this post-COVID stuff is so isolating, too. It's part of the problem everybody's dealing with right now is, is how do you reengage society after locking yourselves up for so long? In some places, even worse. When we come back, actually, the next pandemic is already starting to break out, believe it or not. I know, just in time for next year's election, some of you are thinking about it, except it's not really that. Uh, in China, and it's now spreading across Asia into Europe, it's going to get here as well, there is a mass outbreak of childhood pneumonia. And the scientists globally are all saying this is not some new pneumonia. It's not a um it's not a mutation. It's just regular old pneumonia. And the problem is that everybody went through lockdown and nobody built up their immunity. And so people are getting it and they shouldn't be getting it, but because of stupid lockdowns that lasted for so long, people are. Now we'll actually get it's, it's I mean, big heads up, big heads up to all of you. This is coming. Uh, it, it is it is breaking out all over Europe now. People who have gone to China are bringing it back, and it's mostly affecting kids now instead of adults. And it's, it's, it's survivable. Uh, I mean, COVID was survivable, but it's just a problem. Uh, and again, it's fallout from lockdown. So we will talk about that when we get back.